When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Today on Off Tackle Empire, we make our first foray into the foreign and exotic land, for us podcast hosts anyway, of Michigan to discuss Michigan State Spartans, um, spray tans, or whatever, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, there's a non-zero overlap in certain parts of the fan base. Do, we do, as a school, recruit relatively heavily from the New York, New Jersey area. I think outside of Michigan and Illinois, those that's like the biggest demographic area, or at least it was when I went there, but that was getting to be a really long time ago. So, as far as 2021 goes, I, I don't think there's any way to look at Michigan State season as anything but an overachieving success. I don't think there were very many, very many people outside the program predicted. I mean, the, the over-under on wins was generally, what, like four, four and a half, something like that. And coming out of the pandemic season, not totally unreasonable, but I do think people expected MSU to be somewhat better in 2021. I think the general expectation in the fan base was, look, we got to make a bowl this season. The recruiting is great, but if we don't win some games on the field, like you go down a road that there's no coming back from. So, Well, let me just put it this way, though. If somebody expected what happened or if their expectations were higher than what happened, then they're a fucking asshole and I'm upset that they're happy. Yeah, I don't, I don't even I, know. I hate I that would, it just works out for folks like them. <laughs> I wouldn't call that, I wouldn't even call that kind of delusion being an asshole. That's just like you're, you're so out of touch with reality. It's kind of like I, I would like to take a hit of that once in a while. I know just who's to, just to suspend disbelief. And I might have run into one of those people the other day. I, I, tell, I, I sent you a picture of this when uh, I came upon this truck with the, uh, with what was obviously a homemade fire D'Antonio bumper sticker on the back of it. <laughs> you did, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was either one of those people or if it, or it was our beloved fan shot commenter, Bagels are for champions. If that was you, I I, I have a picture of the back of your truck. <laughs> if you were in Royal Oak last week, I don't know. Give I don't me a holler. Know, I don't know many people at the time who were really willing to go that far. I came pretty damn close, and it, but it was never. I never wanted him fired as much as I wanted him to realize I ain't got it anymore. It's time to hang it up. And he ultimately did uh, again later than would have been ideal, but we've gone through that whole thing ad nauseum, but yeah, to get to your original point, if you really expected Michigan state to go 11 and two and win new year's six bowl after winning two games in the pandemic season at a point in which the team looked absolutely outclassed by any decent team they played, I don't know what to tell you because, I mean, I don't believe you, I guess, is my ultimate response to that. You'd have to give me receipts from before the season showing, oh, yeah, I predicted 10, 11 wins. I thought we'd beat Michigan, no problem. 
they were technically in the picture for the division title until they played Ohio State, and they very much were not. Um, but like, it, don't yeah, I, I don't you. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Like I, I don't believe that anyone actually thought that. So, first couple of games were as expected because there, there wasn't a lot of challenge there. Really, the sign that things might be departing from the expectation in a positive direction was a trip to Miami. And that's a game that unfortunately did not really hold its value too well because the Hurricanes, you know, face planted. Derek King was hurt most of the year. They ended up firing Manny Diaz. But still going into that, the thought was, all right, here's where Michigan State gets exposed because they're playing in South Florida in, I think, last week of September that was. It was like 100 degrees. Uh, Miami's stadium is designed so that the visiting sideline is in the sun the entire game if the game is played during the day, which is clever. I mean, hell, I, I would certainly, again, for the same reason that I think any team north of the Ohio River is idiotic to put their team in a dome if they have the alternative. Yes, absolutely. If you're in an inhospitably warm place, you might as well build your stadium in a way to give your team an advantage. I, no disrespect to that at all. But anyway, the expectation was that Miami was going to win easily. Early on, it kind of looked like that might play out as would become a theme. MSU couldn't cover Charleston Rambo at all. Uh, and their pass rush sure seemed to have the keys to getting in the MSU backfield. But then it turned out that actually all you have to do is adjust your protection a little bit. And Manny Diaz didn't exactly have a counterpunch. So that was the real signal that something special was cooking. They ended up running the record to an eight and nothing, an eight and oh mark after beating Michigan on Halloween, that was certainly the high water mark. Again, remembering at the preseason over under for wins was four, four and a half, depending on where you looked. Yeah. That Michigan game was quite the accomplishment. Um, it was indeed, of course, on their way to that eight, no record. They did have two uh, one score wins against uh, teams with that finished with very bad records in uh, Indiana where they won 20 to 15, but then the Nebraska one is just like, Oh, it was their turn to be the Globetrotters to Nebraska's Washington Generals that week. Yeah. It, it, narrow wins is a generous way to put it. Against Indiana and especially Nebraska, they were absolutely fortunate to escape with wins. The, the two games in really the non-Ohio State portion of the schedule where Kenneth Walker was shut down by a defensive front that could control an offensive line that honestly wasn't great and then also had the linebackers necessary to finish the play. So as good as he was, as revelatory as Kenneth Walker was in his Doke Walker season as one year in East Lansing before going off to Seattle as a second-round pick, yeah, those two games where he was not able to rescue the offense certainly exposed that and, uh, the, the structure still needs to be rebuilt a little bit there. But they came out of those games with wins and made the plays when they needed to be put, to be made, especially, you know, the Nebraska game was a Jaden Reed punt return. And he's coming back this year as the number one option. Peyton Thorne's back as a number one option. Um, I guess normally I, I kind of would have let the results stand for themselves. But of course, as we sit here recording, we're able to reflect back on, uh, boy, Pat Narduzzi had himself a week this past week um, on a couple of podcast appearances. I think it was a couple, or maybe it was one pod and one standard interview. I don't know. But anyway, a couple of media appearances um, really just, just doing the aggrieved fan thing and declaring, oh man, Kenny Pickett's worth 21 points. If we got him, we blow the, we blow doors off Michigan state. If our backup's in, we beat him by 14. 
if that's if that's the third best team in the Big Ten, we can go over there and win the conference every year. It's like, oh, Pat. However, Pat, he I'm did the, not I, stop there. He no, did he not stop there. He, he continued to tweet through it verbally. Uh, because he later insisted that, you know, yes, look, as great as Kenny Pickett was, you know, this is not how we want to win ball games by scoring oh more points than our opponents. We want yeah. our opponent to score fewer points than us. That's how we would prefer to We weren't running the ball enough. Referring specifically with a first yeah. round quarterback. Referring specifically to the championship game against Wake Forest, I believe, or maybe it was the regular season matchup. I think it was the ACC title game. It, which they won by like three <laughs> touchdowns? Uh, maybe it was a regular season game because I thought it was actually a tight game he was talking about. All right, you know what? I'm, I'm curious enough that I got to get into this now. So fit football schedule. Let me get, let me get this up. But in, in any case, the substance of what he's saying is, oh, you know, we're, we're throwing the ball. We're throwing the ball over the place, but we're running for 10 yards a carry every time you run the ball. The, uh, they were not. Their average came out to less than three yards per carry, if I remember correctly. And so, of course, he. <laughs> I assume the question that prompted this was, their Pitt's offensive coordinator is now the offensive coordinator at Nebraska. Kenny Pickett is in the pros, and Jordan Addison is at USC. <laughs> that was quite a trinity for Pitt last year. They Again, did not but, play Wake in the regular season. Okay, so, so confirmed. I guess it was I, talking yeah. about a game that they won forty-five to twenty-one, and complaining that they didn't run the ball enough. <laughs> when he's got a Heisman finalist at quarterback who had gone to be a first-round well, pick, not to mention they got city. they got a free touchdown out of the first and last time the fake slide was ever used in a game. Right. So there's that, <laughs> ch- there's that chicanery. And then there, the offense that Whipple designed turned Jordan Addison, pretty much an anonymous recruit into the Bolitnikoff winner as a true sophomore. So yeah, if throw that all away. Um, there's zero chance that Pitt's offense resembles anything like that. Uh, last year, this next year, anyway, that was, that was just uh, quite the outcome. And it, you know, I too, live here in in fantasy world and i just think we we would have beaten ohio state if cj stroud hadn't eaten the super wheaties for breakfast that morning that's the only the only difference man that's seven touchdowns right there well for for my team though i can see pat narduzzi's point because there's a case to be made that we could have won six games if we had run the ball substantially more than the like (laughs) 65 percent of the snaps on which we did run it yeah, well, and the thing is, season long, Pitt actually had a decent run pass balance, despite the fact that Pickett and Addison were so good. So it's it's like that. It's he is truly a disciple of Mark D'Antonio, and it's like one of those infographics I made where it was, you know, Mark D'Antonio's, you know, feelings on various scores of games. It's like, you know, the the the, the win over Baylor, the forty two to forty one in that bowl game. It's like not not at all how he wanted to win. It's like, look, I'll take the win, I guess, if I have to but way too many points were scored. It's like, yeah, like, you know, I, the, the one where I assigned him the, uh, the, the, the Thanos in retirement smiling picture was a zero to zero <laughs> tie from 1933. <laughs> that's, much, yeah. that's the game he wants to coach pretty much. And that's kind of the last point on this circle, which is a lot of commentary on the Michigan state side of the aisle in response to that being like, you know, this kind of sounds like the, but hurt speak of a man who was not seriously approached about replacing his mentor, Mark Antonio a few years ago when Antonio retired. That's what it seems like. That's what it feels like. I believe at some point in that process, he said, Oh no, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. Well, they went to fickle first and they had talked to Tucker before that. And then went back to Tucker after fickle said, no, I I don't remember Narduzzi's name being involved in there. Would you say that fickle was, um, 
somewhat non-committal. Uh, well, no, the, the, op- the opposite of that. I mean, yeah, no, I'm making a joke about <laughs> yeah, his yes. name. Yes, he he was a bit fickle about the whole thing, as was Mrs. Fickle, supposedly. I think he just passed down the job because he thinks he's going to get the Ohio State offer if Ryan Day ever goes to the pros. But anyway, we're way far afield here. That's kind of the most recent um, discussion of the Peach Bowl, which, hey, more press than a non-playoff New Year's Six game normally gets in the offseason following it. So I'm glad somebody's talking about that. Game. Yeah, some, you know, some some NCAA selection committee stuff right there for you. Yeah. But at the same time though, I'm, I'm also sure that the, the powers that be in the playoff are probably sending someone to kneecap Pat Narduzzi right now for bringing up a non-playoff game in the following season. Like, look, Pat, we got to remember that's not part of what we're selling here. What we're selling is, Hey, sometimes the, the, teams playing in these games would actually play for something that we're going to care about. So remember that these games exist with this year, not so much. So anyway, that was a whole fun thing and an interesting little detour. Uh, The two losses to Purdue and Ohio State, not surprising. The two best passing games that Michigan State saw all season. Michigan State's pass defense was horrendous. Dead last in the country by a couple of metrics. And the thing that I, I don't know why media that cover a team or feel obligated to do stuff like this because Back half, maybe last month of last season, there were a lot of observations, headlines, whatever, by people covering a team saying, hey, you know, look, yeah, Michigan State's passing defense is not good, don't get me wrong, but there's context, which is they face more passing attempts than anyone else. It's like, hold on, go go one more step there. Why do you think they face more passing attempts than anyone else? It's because their pass defense is bad, they can't get off the field on third downs, and they don't have a very good pass rod. I, of course they face more passes. Like that. I, I don't get why that would matter. It's, I, so anyway, it was a really bad pass defense. Um, but ultimately that that's, you know, if you have an absolutely fatally flawed pass defense, that is still a recipe to go 10 and two in the big 10 at this time. It is. But as we've said, as we said ad nauseum though, that's the flaw that you want to have if you're in the Big Ten West. If you're in the Big Ten East, that just, ins- play Ohio State. That just ensures that you're not going to beat Ohio State, which means you're not going to win the division. Uh, you know, the reason Michigan was able to beat them was because their pass rush was good enough to cover for a pretty good but not great pass defense. In the well, end. the question is this. If Michigan, if, if, if some freak thing takes out David Bell and Michigan State wins Purdue, do you know how the tiebreakers work? currently no i'm sure they end up favoring ohio state regardless almost certainly yeah i'm sure no actually i'm pretty sure that ohio state still would have gone because of the way i i forget what it ended up being i think it ends up then being record against no i i don't remember how it works out but i do believe it was the case that if we had beaten purdue but still lost to ohio state that ohio state would have gone to indianapolis not us Um, which again that's how it always goes but you also not Michigan, which is right, which would have been hilarious as hell. They have a one loss season and beat Ohio State and still can't go. <laughs> Ohio State does after they lose to Michigan. That would have been true comedy. As funny as Michigan. I guarantee fans... you this Texas fans are still mad about it from 2008. The same thing happened with a three way tie in a division with Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. Um, Two blood rivals and then a school that like thinks they're blood rivals with someone else, but then kind of isn't really as much. Um, And and it was it was that three way thing. And Oklahoma ended up uh, going to the conference title game and then playing for a national title. And 
Texas fans are are still mad about it. Like two losses to Kansas later, they're still mad about that. <laughs> well, look, it's not exactly an either or proposition, right? You can certainly be mad about more than one thing. So, <laughs> all right. Discussing then what things are going to look like this year. Offensively, yeah, it, it sure helps to find a should have been a Heisman candidate in Kenneth Walker III. It's still objectively ridiculous that Hutchinson went and he didn't. Um, but that being said, it's water under the bridge now. Uh, Walker erased a lot of shortcomings on that offensive line in the run blocking game in particular. And he was a home run threat. It really, a few games in, the term, I'm trying to remember who I was talking to that came up with this, but the term for him was menace, that this offense has not had a menacing player in a long time. And it sure put a lot of confidence in Tucker's approach of hitting the portal very heavily. So again, with the, with the season he had, went off to the NFL draft, could not blame him at all. Uh, also allowed a basically new starting quarterback. Peyton Thorne played some in the pandemic season, but it you know they were still riding the Rocky Lombardi train at that time. Thorne comes back; he'll now be you know one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the conference. As does his top receiver, Jaden Reed both the prides of Naperville Central High School, the premier high school for athletics, academics, and overall achievement yeah, well, in, then, in, in Metro Chicago, if I could finish the read. Steven. Well, then I got to root for, uh, then I've been rooting for a Naperville Central Red Hawk myself. As and look how out. that's gone for me. Apparently, you just get to root for these guys with impunity. The second I do, they uh, suffer season-ending knee injuries. We got half a season of Black Arrow play out of Devon, and he'll be back. So, anyway... Um, <laughs> right. There's a signing announcement tomorrow, but anyway, there is. It's probably going to be a backup goalie because the actual backup is hurt. So no, it's not. It, it definitely won't be him. Um, so anyway, looking at the offense for this season, obviously the biggest question is how do you distribute the running game because Walker did take most of the carries. Honestly, the other guys returning in that room did not really do a whole lot to inspire confidence. You still have Eli Collins, who was a couple carries short of 1,000 yards in 2019. But, man, that was an eternity ago. He had real problems with COVID symptoms. So who knows what Which, he's going to offer. by the way, offer. is a thing that I don't know if anybody's ever going to examine is how many athletic careers got altered by that. I don't know if we're ever going to know. I, I mean – I question how regularly people were being tested during that whole thing. Cause I think in a lot of cases there was a, we don't really want to know. I, I wonder, I really, I have no idea how it's going to play out. Um, certainly it's affected some people. We know it has. I mean, this is an example right there. Um, the other guys coming back who had carries, you know, Jordan Simmons um, and Harold Joyner, neither of them really inspired much. Simmons was the guy who got the most opportunity after Walker, but he didn't really do much with it. So they hit the portal again. Uh, they're bringing in Jalen Berger from Wisconsin, who washed out in kind of surprising and disappointing fashion after really looking like a potential heir apparent to Jonathan Taylor in a lot of ways. Uh, but they're also bringing in Jarek Broussard, who was the Pac-12 player of the year at Colorado during the pandemic season and then kind of fell out of favor, had an injury last season. So you figure the transfers are probably going to be at the front of the line. Um Aside from Reed, you know, Jalen Naylor was the clear number two receiver. He's gone. So they've got some guys who have played smaller roles like Trey Mosley and Montori Foster. A few pretty good freshmen that we'll bring up a bit later. 
Um, the tight end room turns over a bit. They do have Malik Carr coming back. He had his moments, and they bring in Daniel Barker from Illinois. Yeah, we'll um, never know if they kick if if he went around to Illinois and Indiana and kicked the tires on our running back rooms. You know, props to us for holding on to Chase Brown. Props to Indiana for holding on to their guys. I mean, I guess like one time transfer rule is going to being eliminated is going to make things very interesting. <laughs> in fact, it's basically kind of going to. In my opinion, there's there's then going to be a, a bit of a of a dividing line between who's going to focus more on free agency and who's going to focus more on high school recruiting because, you know, you, you kind of could probably yeah. run a pretty good program without high school recruiting at all. Yeah, I, it would be possible. It's much again, much like basketball after the one and done era and the rise of the AAU circuit. Like, yes, it recruiting and football in the next i mean shoot could be as soon as the next like couple years is not going to resemble anything like it has for our lifetimes so that'll be an interesting well so first of all it's not really clear yet if the unlimited transfer number of transfers thing is really going to fly i have to think the only way that it gets passed is if there are some kind of gestures made towards actually enforcing anti-tampering rules I don't know how you make that work. Everybody can get a burner phone, but what they would basically do is yes, you can transfer as many times as you want without losing eligibility, but only within a given window. Uh, and then after that, you, I think would, uh, I assume you would still lose eligibility if you transfer outside of it. So I think they're, <laughs> they're going to try to put some kind of guardrails in place because as long as there is some kind of broader NCAA structure, the relative have nots are going to object to the extent to which they do like every time they have a good player they can expect every good every high rolling program in the country to descend on them and try to pull the guy away so then we're at this point talking about that happening to to power to power five teams because you're not the first program to do that to wake forest they had georgia pick off a starting quarterback from them a few years ago yeah, but again, in those contexts, I don't know if it's really a pickoff in the sense you mean, which is we're going to come and offer you a bag of money to come play here. I think in the case of oh my, uh, Jamie Newman, for example, he wanted to play for a team that could win a national title, and he ended up not winning the job. And you know, I don't think Kenneth Walker came here for a title so much as he came here for an opportunity at better playing time, like Wake Forest was splitting carries with him and have a running quarterback. So um, I don't know if these examples were quite that, but that is going to happen. That's going to happen a lot. Um, anyway, to finish up the offense discussion here, the offensive line has a good deal of turnover and the guys that they lose were very experienced. But again, as I've tried to be delicate about this offensive line has been, Inconsistent at best and you know, below average more often a lot of the time the last few years. So I don't know that new blood is necessarily a bad thing. They You can probably pencil in a starting five as being Jared Horst, J.D. Duplain, Nick Samak, Brian Green is the new guy from Washington State, and probably Spencer Brown at right tackle. After that, the depth, who really knows? Most of the guys behind them haven't played other than Matt Carrick, who's coming off a pretty bad injury. So he would be a guy who could play at either guard spot. But other than that six, they don't really have anybody else who's played much. It's all younger guys that they've recruited. So they're going to need a few of them to be good. You can't count on your whole line to be healthy all year. 
they need some of these guys to get better. They're paying their offensive line coach a lot of money. Um, feels like it can't just be for the impact he has in recruiting. He's got to make these guys better. So the interesting thing about MSU's defense is that they actually had the most passing yards allowed in FBS last year, despite playing in the Big Ten. I looked at, of course, how this happened, and it really was kind of a worst-case scenario because the schedule couldn't have been set up any worse for that because, of course, you know, Maryland has become a competent passing team, but then their crossovers were Purdue and Nebraska, who were the best passing offenses in the Big Ten West. Um, and they also played the Bailey Zappy Western Kentucky yes, Hilltoppers. That <laughs> was also true. I mean, Miami so had added. a Miami had a receiver that they couldn't cover. Yeah, uh, everything. I mean, just everything set up. I mean, they scored on Northwestern so early that they were chucking it, and really, in retrospect. Yeah, even if it, it was even if it was three quarters of garbage time, twenty-one points by Northwestern. Yikes! Right, I and I, I appreciate the attempt to lend some context, but there's really only so much lipstick you can put on this pig. The passing defense was awful. Fortunately, the run defense was still solid, and this is still the Big Ten, so there were still plenty of teams who were like, "No, we're not going to throw against this basically non-existent pass defense. We're still going to establish the run." Um, the pass rush is the part that's going to look different though, which is, it's interesting, man. You would think in a year after which they had such bad performance, they only add one transfer in the secondary. That would be Amir speed, the corner from Georgia, really good name for a defensive back. Oh um, yeah. But they focus instead on the linebacker and pass rush groups. You can probably expect to see Chris Bogle, the edge from Florida, starting at defensive end the really the two biggest losses from the defense were drew beasley and jacob panasha uh, the two defensive ends who have played the most the last few years so you can expect bogle to be a new starter they also added to the linebacker group which i thought was a little odd because they had a freshman all-american in cal halliday quaveras crouch had his moments otherwise you know look lost sometimes he transferred out but that was only after a couple other guys transferred in I think Jacoby Windeman is going to end up being the other starter next to Halliday. Uh, had a huge, just havoc-inducing season for UNLV last year. So you may see a new starter at each level of the defense through the transfer portal. Uh, they're mostly running it back with the same guys in the secondary. They're going to move some guys around, though. It sounds as though they're going to put the former corner, Chester Kimbrough, at the nickel and hope see if his coverage works a little bit better inside. We'll see. It, it, it would be hard to be much worse, uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to get a whole lot better. I, I, cert I certainly hope so, because they do have like veteran guys in the secondary. They should be better. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, this also another transfer from Mississippi State, Aaron Brule. I'm wondering if he is of any relation to Dr. Steve Brule. And uh, if so, <laughs> what his conception of the universe is like. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, I, I would it would certainly be a, a nice connection to have. Uh, no, I think it just, uh, I think that was a case of him being weirded out by Mike Leach because as <laughs> of, I think going into 2021, he went to media days for Mississippi state might've been a captain in either 21 or 20. I don't remember. And then he ended up transferring. So yeah, that's just uh, understandable. More a case of Mike Weech being weird, weird, I think. And, and he certainly didn't want to not play for MSU, I guess. He just right. He's got, he must he, have just gotten a he must have gotten a generic MSU tattoo somewhere where you could see it on TV. Keep all and but just, just with slightly, no specific logo. 
just change the serifs a little bit and you're all set. Um, all right. So we've touched on a few of the transfers coming in. Um, Berger and Broussard, as well as Green on the offensive line on offense, are likely to be the ones that you could see all four of those guys on defense. But I think it's probably an either or thing with the linebackers because Cal Halliday really did play damn near every snap when he was able to. Uh, as far as freshman goes, you can pretty much count on seeing Jack Stone being the starting place kicker. Uh, Matt Coughlin is finally out of eligibility. And they gave a couple of, you know, like they threw a PAT and one field goal because Coughlin was hurt a couple games last season. So they had to try other guys and none of the walk-on options really looked like the guy you want making a big kick with the game on the line. Um other than that, there's a few guys, you know, like I said, the, the wide receiver group they have is good. Like Jeremy Bernard, Antonio Gates Jr. You could see one of those guys play a little bit, but they have a lot of options in the receiver room. Um, I think you're more likely to see pieces defensively, especially in the safety group. Um, Dylan Tatum or Jaden Mangum could both figure in at the safety or the nickel group. Uh, very well-regarded in-state prospects that they were able to get to commit. So I think that's probably where you see the freshmen, if at all. Again, you're more likely to see the transfers, and that's obviously been a theme. If a guy's not, you know, a top 100, 150 type of player, transfers are more likely to make an impact right away. Absolutely. So when we're looking at this schedule here, one of the first things things that jumps out to me is the fact that Michigan State and Ag School is going to have a Farmageddon against Washington head coach Kalen DeBoer. Right. And that's a game that I think Michigan State's going to lose. And I think a lot of people are going to point and laugh because Washington was four and eight last year. That's going to be overlooking the fact that Washington remains one of the most talented teams west of the Rockies, basically only behind Oregon and USC. Um, Jimmy Lake hadn't quite killed their recruiting altogether. He just badly misused their talent. So they've got probably five, six, seven NFL players scattered across their roster. They also brought in Michael Penix, a player who has lit Michigan State on fire in the past. Um, it's early enough that maybe, maybe Kaelin DeBoer doesn't have all his ducks in a row just yet, but that earlier relationship with Penix is going to put him ahead of the curve, I believe. Uh, it's going to be an early test to see if Michigan State's pass defense got any better. You know, when Washington played Michigan last year, the Wolverines walked him over, but it was what it was a weird situation where for various reasons, Washington had like none of their receivers available. And then Lake ended up getting so stubborn with his play calling. He didn't even attempt to work around it. He just ran straight into Michigan's front for four quarters and the Wolverines well, look, if, you know, if, beat the crap out of him. If he really, really wants to kind of recapture Washington's recent glory days, what he's going to do is trot out quarterback Jake Penix Jr., and then I'm not sure what Jake he'll have behind him. Just as long as yeah. the quarterback room is flush with Jake's, yep. that's been Jake's, the problem that that Washington has had recently is it's not just gonna, been flush it's, with Jake's. It's just going to be a question as to whether. And again, that's why I, I don't think Washington's going to be a candidate to win the Pac-12 because they could have had Jake Hayner. They almost did, and they ended yeah. up missing him. And so because of that, I, you know, this game is more gettable. That's a good point. This game is more gettable than I initially thought. If they had acquired Hayner, we would lose by six touchdowns but they don't have a Jake in the quarterback position. Therefore they're not at full power. And I think we got a decent chance. Well, look, if the, I didn't bother to check to see who's returning for Western Michigan, but I don't think that's a game Michigan state's in danger of losing, no. but 
it could certainly be if their pass defense, if their passing offense is anything like it was last year, a game that MSU fans are annoyed at how long they have to keep watching it. It's a possibility if Tim Wester has kind of returned to the days of Western always having a good quarterback, but no, Caleb Ellaby, their quarterback left. So did Sky Moore, uh, mid-round pick, I believe, by the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's their deep ball threat, their quarterback. If they're going to – I think Ladarius Jefferson might still have eligibility. If he's the guy they choose to run against us, they're not going to make anything in the way of yards. So uh, they're probably going to have a few weapons. They usually do. I don't expect it to be the kind of test that it should be. I mean, that's that's the game where you expect Michigan State to figure out what their rotation is going to be at the running back group. Oh, my. I feel so bad for getting this. Western had a really good nose tackle the last few years, and his name totally escapes me. But I'm pretty sure he is in the NFL now. Ralph Hawley, maybe? Does that sound right? Uh, something like that. But anyway defensively i don't think western is going to pose much of a challenge um in terms of the rest of the schedule crossovers with the west minnesota and wisconsin at home and the trip to illinois five home conference games they do have a three-game stretch of ohio state wisconsin at michigan in october with a bye inserted before the trip to ann arbor that feels like pretty much the entire story of the season if they figure out a way to get out of that stretch two and one you feel pretty good about pushing for 10 wins, getting to another New Year's Six Bowl. I don't, again, I, I can't predict them to be a serious contender for the conference because I don't think they match up with Ohio State yet. That's basically all I'm looking at is, can we at least keep it a game into the fourth quarter this time? Um, if we end up doing that, then, hey, that's a sign of progress. You bring in another very good recruiting class and hopefully you close the gap because, yes, I know Ohio State is still like at maximum possible recruiting, but if we improve, we do, in a sense, catch up, right? So, um, anyway. Well, I mean, and, of course, you always forget Penn State's there just because the, the wheels kind of fell off for them last year and their quarterback got hurt, hurt and, uh, you know, they lost a few games. I mean, they're, they remain pretty friggin' talented. Yeah, they're still um, going to be the – they're still going to be the true number one contender, but – I just, man, James Franklin as a game manager, and unless and until they prove they can build a quarterback room to a stand, the inevitable injury to Sean Clifford behind an underperforming offensive line, that's a pretty consistent weakness they've had that's derailed multiple seasons now. So I can't just overlook it and pretend it's not a risk to happen again. And it's definitely helpful that if we're going to assume that the pass defense is going to be a problem, that unlike last year, MSU's Big Ten West crossovers instead of having two of the the only two passing offenses are instead three of the well our passing <laughs> offense was pretty yeah. bad last year but it's going to be worse this year <laughs> yeah three, <laughs> Minnesota three of, Wisconsin Illinois three of the remarkable five Big Ten West teams that you can say that about <laughs> which is just again just remarkable so fair to say we're looking at roughly eight and four. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a reasonable goalpost. Eight and four, nine and three. You know, if they figure out some combination of improved pass rush and secondary play to shore that up, there aren't again Ohio State and Penn State to a lesser extent, but that game's at the end of November. Those are the only passing games to be concerned with. Again, aside from Washington, that's going to be that's going to be a much more of a time. I think most people are going to go into the season like, oh, Michigan State's got this. I'm telling you, I, I would not be surprised if the line is maybe like MSU minus two or something like that. Like, it's not going to be a whole lot. Um, 
and I'm probably I would probably take the Washington money line if I was banks. So yeah, eight and four, nine three, something like that. Because um, the thing is about an eight and four record in the division that you're in, it's not going to be good enough to get you to be part of the four way tie for the division. <laughs> right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah. Again, just thinking of... There might only be one season where being in the other division would have made a difference, like 2017, where I think 10, well, they were nine and three in the regular season. That might have been good enough to get them to the conference title game. Wisconsin might have been like 10 or 11 wins that year. Who can say? Um, I sure as hell don't remember. All their teams are boring and interchangeable. And and yeah, that was one of the several years that we said that they were going to fall off and then they got better. And then I think, was it the year after that that we said they were going to be good and they fell off? Or was that the five? I think that was 2019. Anyway, we digress. They still won the division. So yeah, we, we digress. Um, it's as a little bit of a look behind the curtain here. As we do this over Zoom, the session, the free sessions tend to end midway during our recording. And so it came to an end right before we talked about records. It's like, oh, it's pretty much a perfect spot. And I messaged you because we were going to, transition to talking about hoops and i said hoops do we have to uh, <laughs> this man and again this is where i freely acknowledge to fan bases of pretty much uh, most other programs in this conference i'm coming from a place of privilege and i try to check that at the door when i'm talking about this team but again in the context of having a hall of fame coach that you know is good enough to win a national title Seasons like last year will make you pull your hair out because Tom has only got that much time left and it feels like he's doing the Mark D'Antonio exit plan where he's like, no, I'm going to show everybody. I know better, even though the world's a completely different place than it was five years ago, let alone 30. I'm going to show all you kids that I know better than anybody else. And I, on the one hand, I can't say that it's not working because He's got an incredible point guard recruit for the 2023 class committed at the moment. He's in on a handful of other elite Midwestern talent. Like if he gets the class that he could, he had to tell those kids something to convince him he was still going to be around. And that's why I've really changed. Like for most of the last few years, I assumed he was planning on hanging it up when his kid graduated, which would be after this coming season. I don't really think that's the case anymore because the recruiting is still looking okay. Like it's not earth shattering national title winning, but he's still convincing kids that he's going to be around to coach them or that he knows who will. And then the other thing is his longtime assistant, uh, Dwayne Stevens took the Western Michigan job this past off season, which tells me that he thinks I need to go and get head coaching experience elsewhere. Because if I hang around here, I'm not going to have the resume when Tom hangs it up that I would if I stayed or, you know, basically like he doesn't think there's going to be an opportunity to interview for that job anytime soon. So let me go and take over and do my own program because he's not a young man either. Well, what I'm wondering is this, there was one of these off season previews where you were talking about we're, we're going to be getting close to this end game here, but the Amani Bates gambit is going to be where he does kind of his last 
run at it, blaze of glory and stuff. And I'm wondering mm. if that was before or after COVID happened, because it's like, could you possibly be living in the Michigan state Imani Bates superstar, uh, no COVID reality? <laughs> oh, what a fun world that would have been. Um, so based on the timeline, Bates was a freshman this last year, but that was only after he reclassified. So they, I mean, his, his commitment to Michigan State would have been during the pandemic, I believe. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, boy. I'm, Bill I'm taking gonna... a hardline zero COVID strategy is also another alternate uh, universe that we could have lived in. But Yeah, well... Um... I'm not going to speak on the Bates thing too much because honestly, it's just, at, at this point, it really looks like it's heading for sad story. Cautionary yeah, tale I, I, like, I agree. And I don't have it like I don't know him from Adam. I've never met the kid. He's done me no wrong personally. But man, I feel like by the by like two or three years into his pro career, whenever that begins, it's going to be a story of how not to do it. And it's just so unfortunate because he could have been great. But anyway, yeah, um, that, all that it, aside, it, it, it sucks when that ends up happening. You get mad at a kid, and then you try to realize that, like, he's a kid. There's and a I lot don't of people him telling any, him yeah. what he should be doing, his and a dad, lot of those people might dad, be wrong. His dad is the one who had the biggest role in it, and it's like, well, he's he's not going to not listen to his dad, exactly. And he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't know me or Michigan State fans anything, but it's still just like, man, there were so many signs that he really needed coaching, like he would have gotten from Mizzo, and. And they didn't do it. They went to the farthest opposite place you could from that kind of coaching. And it turned out predictably. It, there's there's no other way that it could have turned out. So w- <laughs> you're indulging me quite a bit here in that we're not talking about what happened on the floor for Michigan State last season. Um, it was disappointing and it was very frustrating to watch game to game. But that doesn't mean that it was necessarily too far out of line with what I expected because the one thing you can say about scheduling a non-conference the way Tom Izzo does is you measure yourself pretty damn early. And in their early season games against Kansas and Baylor, they played Michigan state did probably like a B plus a minus, like pretty close to the best game they could have played. And they still ended up getting bounced by, you know, like 12, 15, 18 point margins or something like that. And it kind of told you like, man, Short of an absolute best case scenario where everybody has the best season they possibly can, this team's not good enough to play for a national title. So that kind of calibrates your expectations. And knowing that the Big Ten had multiple teams that were going to be in that conversation, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin was a surprise. Um, Michigan, and some people said that. But Ohio State, I think, was pretty well-regarded preseason. Like, it it was going to, in Purdue, it was going to be a tough conference and so I don't recall there being a whole lot of people. I mean, Michigan State attained a reasonable ranking early in the season. I don't recall there being a lot of people expecting them to win the conference, and they didn't. I mean, they were a mid-pack team in a pretty good league that dramatically underperformed in the postseason. As far as what the roster looks like next year, it'll be different. Um, they're going to be they're going to be counting on good health and on pretty much everybody being ready to contribute because. They had a couple of guys pass on COVID years and Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham. They both played in summer league. I don't know if either of them is especially likely to make a roster. Uh, And then Max Christie, a somewhat surprising decision to enter and remain in the draft. He ended up being a second round pick of the Lakers, a team that does need shooting, but um, 
that's a guy who I really think could have benefited from another year, much in the way that Gary Harris or Miles Bridges did, and notwithstanding what Miles is currently dealing with. And so what the Lakers are what's coming to him. The Lakers are going away from their like 2011 all-star team strategy. Well, the thing about that is if, <laughs> if you're doing a, an all-star team from 10 years ago, the salary cap only allows you to pay so many of those guys and you actually do need a whole roster. So they have to like a second round rookie is basically going to be what they have to do with the, <laughs> to fit their salary cap. The, the uh, Russell Westbrook Lakers highlights, it honestly is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, because I know you can cherry pick low lights from absolutely anybody, yeah. but like <laughs> they put together a remarkably long highlight reel of incredibly bad shots. Yeah. And, but you know, all right. So one brief digression to that, and then I promise I'll, I'll continue to swallow the porridge that's talking about last year's team, but I don't know why people are like, I was like, Oh man, the Lakers are such a disaster. Like you have to put blame where blame is due. And I, for the most part, I like LeBron a lot. Okay. He off the court is everything you want a megastar to be. He on the court has lived up to his very, very high billing beyond anyone's wildest dreams. He's one of the five best players of all time. Certainly everyone can agree on that. He's won championships with several, with three different teams. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty is, rare thing uh, outside really of the context of as the as the central feature on all those teams too. Um, and yes, he's played with some pretty good players. The thing that has to be said more often though is he is a goddamn terrible GM, and that's what he's been. <laughs> that's what he's been doing for the Lakers because I, you know I remember him tweeting out some comments basically like I don't know man like, we're gonna figure I, I don't remember what he said but it was something but, but he surely went to the Lakers yeah. assured of more power than he would ever ha- have had in his career as a GM before uh you know to influence the roster yeah Pat Riley wasn't gonna give him total roster control like that like Dwayne Wade convinced him to go to Miami um <laughs> but but yes they, they put together a a bubble championship team that incidentally didn't have to play a whole season and that probably was fairly helpful for them. Oh yeah. For the construction of that roster. Older team like that, a pandemic shortened season was an absolute dream in one sense of you don't have to, you don't have to play hard for as long and not having a bench, having guys more prone to injury is less of a risk in a short season. Yeah. So anyway, Max Christie might actually have a real opportunity to play with the Lakers despite being a second round pick and having a kind of an underwhelming offensive season. I know he, a lot was expected of him as a freshman and he certainly seemed to tail off. But my point is, although I questioned his decision at first, he did get drafted and the Lakers do need him. So he really might have an opportunity to play real minutes, even as a second rounder with kind of an unimpressive run behind him. So all right, our last point on NBA Summer League is that the Jazz rolled out a Summer League roster <laughs> with a five rotation of Kofi Coburn and Taco Fall. <laughs> they made one where Kofi Coburn was the smallest center on the roster. And I'm, and I'm going to I'm going to do the Brian Windhorst meme really quick. It's like very strange lineup. Very strange very lineup. Strange lineup. <laughs> now why is that? Got both pointer fingers. Why do you there. think they were engaged in discussions with Kofi Coburn while also signing Taco Fall. Very strange sign. You think about the last time something like this happened, okay? If you think about what happened with... <laughs> and, and everyone like everyone else in the room is just staring like, I, yeah, what, what does that mean? I, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the more innocently excellent things that's happened in sports media recently, and I'm very happy about it. But anyway, uh, 
Yeah, so looking at MSU's basketball roster for this season, um, I like the wing situation even without Max Christie. The point guard group should be extremely good between Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard. Everyone expects a big step forward from Jaden Akins on the wing. Um, Pierre Brooks barely played last year, but is reportedly in much better shape. They have a couple of freshmen coming in. One guard is something funny because you look like you're about to burst. <laughs> no, it's it's too irrelevant for me to bring up. I'm just going to have to fight it off. Yeah, we uh, right. We could go two hours every night, folks. Don't don't let there be any doubt about that. Um, they add a couple of freshmen in Trey Holloman, a sort of a point slash probably going to be combo guard because they already have two point guards to get like having spent most of the last decade doing the oops, all power forwards roster construction. <laughs> we're now pivoting to oops, all point guards. Some of those guys are able to play off the ball. Like I don't think Jaden Akins, who was recruited supposedly as a point guard is ever going to actually play point guard for Michigan state, but that's fine. I mean, ball handling skills, that's a good thing to have depth with. So the wing rotation, I think should be fine. Um, the power forward situation really should be fine. Um, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser coming back. He's going to play some before some of the five. And I understand perfectly well, after all the things I've said and written about just lamenting Joey Hauser for most of his career at Michigan State, I know it is that I'm the last person you probably thought you would hear expressing some, some relief that Joey Hauser came back. But he really did pick up his level of play the last month, month and a half, two months of the season. In the tournament games, he was their best player by a considerable margin. And that's not to say that I expect him to score 20, 25 points a game. But if he plays the level of defense he did and can score 16 or 17, that changes MSU's outlook considerably. He still has that kind of talent. That's another guy where, again, like nobody has said this. Izzo has kind of hinted at it. I have to assume that COVID hit him like a freight truck. And that's the thing that caused him to go from being a, a very promising young player at Marquette to an absolute disaster his first year and an improving disaster in his second year to the point where he was a serviceable, if, if not downright good player by the end of last year. It's a hard impression to get over the first year and a half he had at Michigan State. It really is. Um, the question really is, how does Michigan State deal with opposing bigs down low? Because even with the turnover in the conference, you're still going to have to deal with Zach Eady. You still got to deal with Hunter Dickinson. You know there are going to be a few other big men who emerge in this conference. And right now... The plan basically appears to be play Hauser at the five for a few minutes and get the rest of your time from a combination of Madi Sissoko, who has barely played in his first two years. Career highlight so far is breaking Iota Sunmu's nose. And freshman Jackson Kohler, who has the size, he's like 6'10". But again, you're counting on a true freshman and a guy who was all of his earlier recruiting and scouting reporting indicated he's offensively oriented. They're going to be counting on him to play at 15 to 20 minutes a night. Like it's, it can't be less than that. Sissoko had a foul rate higher than Gavin Schilling, which is saying something. So it's either that or the other freshman big who they picked up kind of late and were playing a red shirt, Carson Cooper, or maybe they give him some run, but if he plays, he ain't going to be much more than five fouls. So we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, to be fair, in certain fair. types of Michigan State home games, you need a player who will go out and commit five fouls if they're very hard. Oh, yeah, it, it, the the Eldon Campbell role is a role that can have some value in the right games. Um, I don't know if it's worth burning a red shirt for over a guy who really could be a useful player down the line. 
But it's Eldon Campbell. That's from that. He's from that game where you play as Eldon Campbell and try to win a ring. Elden Ring. <laughs> right. Yes. Eldon yeah, like Campbell. My career with Eldon Campbell. In Eldon NBA Campbell, the, the protagonist of the open world Souls like game Elden Ring. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> well, he won at least at least the one in real life, right? He was with the Vessens in 04. Yeah. Yep. So he got his Elden Ring. <laughs> The two that right, the Elden Ring is actually just the the story mode of the 2004 Piston season. Um, so it does seem about that violent. Yeah the 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 only thing that gives me some pause again is that you know MSU is going in here even even if Cooper plays they have ten scholarship players and Izzo pursued a few guys in the portal lost out on all of them getting for example um, Jalen Bridges from West Virginia sure would have helped a lot. But they didn't. They didn't land. They only pursued a handful of guys. And when they didn't get them, the idea they grabbed Cooper late. But it's like, man, they just needed another body. It, a breaking case of emergency body would have been better than nothing. And when he was asked about it, he actually answered the question kind of directly, which is unusual for a coach. It was usually pretty candid. But what he said basically is, Look, I gotta keep these guys. I'm gonna keep this number of guys happy instead of filling out a roster and having a bunch of guys transfer out. Like that's basically what he said. Is I'm choosing to approach this season as I'm just I'm gonna have a shorter bench, but I'm gonna hopefully be able to give everybody enough playing time to keep them happy. And although on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, but what if anybody gets hurt? On the other hand, I don't blame him for that. Like you you telling me that how many other coaches are able to hold together rosters where you do like for example Juwan Howard went out and grabbed Jalen Llewellyn the transfer from oh, I forget Columbia nah, not Columbia one of the from the Ivy League but in any case grabbed a combo guard who's going to play a lot of the point the guy who was going to share minutes with him at the point would have been sophomore Frankie Collins immediately transferred immediately left so now they've got one guy who they didn't really want to play at the point all the time down like all the pro teams I'm affiliated with now I'm at good places with in my fandom, certainly DCFC, the only other pro sports teams I even kind of pay attention to are the Red Wings and the Tigers. Tigers are going to be terrible forever. That's fine. I just don't care anymore. Red Wings are on the come up. We're going to be good again. Um, hopefully in the not too distant future, probably one more season of being pretty bad, but you just like, I, I don't let these things bother me anymore, but MSU basketball is still the one thing where like I can be sitting by myself in my living room, watching a game, yelling at the, t- like actually audibly yelling at the TV, like freaking my dogs out. And I was like, I don't, I gotta, this is the only thing left that is out of balance and I got to bring it into balance. So we got some period of time left with Tom Izzo. The team still has a pretty solid floor. They're still playing pretty good basketball. Most of the time, are they ever going to get a second national title with him? No, I've known that for years now. Are they going to build to winning another conference title in the next couple of years? That's more likely. Um, probably not going to be very good this year. But, I mean, there's a couple guys who could depart for the NBA early. But we'll see how the short roster thing works. Like, if they if – they, again, well, they're going to lose some guys out of eligibility. Next. Like, they'll have to rebuild the power forward room after this year again. But you never have an entire roster intact from year to year. So – who knows? They can be better than I think they will. I think they're probably going to be somewhere six, seven, eight in the conference again. But as we said with every team preview, this is supposed to be a down Big Ten. Uh, this feels like one, like despite the COVID years, this, if anything, seems to be the least predictable Big Ten year in a long time. Like, possibly. There is a I lot mean, of shit that could happen. There, 
all the teams that were at or near the top of the conference are losing so much. Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue, ton of turnover. Um, big roster questions with the with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, a lot you know, of it's other- going to be a chaos year if people are really pimping Indiana as a conference favorite. I've seen this unironically yeah. from non-Indiana people online. It's just just by process of elimination, right? Like. Well, you can reasonably assume the teams with a lot of turnover, generally the team that 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 comes back to win it has a pretty decent amount of returning roster. Yeah. So then you think, who's got the best returning pieces? I mean, it's not out of the question when you think about it that way. Trace, Trace Jackson Davis is probably the best returning player in the conference. Like, I don't know who you would say is better than him as a college player. So, Who has been better than him? They're, right. they're the guys with upside, but nobody who has yeah, been better. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyway, uh, who knows what to expect from Michigan State. Um, the season's going to be getting wrapped, or is going to be getting underway right around the time I'm supposed to become a father. So, I'm going to be losing a lot of sleep over other stuff anyway. I may as well be uh, – I'm going to be – it's going to be a drifting raft of emotion. So, well, thank you for gutting out this season preview, and maybe our podcast will survive long enough for me to predict a winning season for my football team. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!